All right, so we're learning Daf Yud. So we're going to be starting from three lines down in Daf Yud, where Gemara is going to be introducing a bunch of cases where the theme is the same. We're not sure if you have to do Bidikas Chametz again. So basically, you've done a Bidika, and you're not sure if another occurrence, something else has happened, which messes up your Bidika, which would require another one. So the case that the Gemara opens with today, <coughs> three lines down, Yudim you have one pile of chametz, and right in front of the ha- in front of front of the pile of chametz are two checked houses. Both of the houses are checked already. What happens is also Akbar comes along a mouse, and we see that he takes chametz from the pile. Beshakal he takes. but we're not sure ilahai all ilahai all. We know he went into one of the two houses, which would then require another bedika, as we learned about in yesterday's daf. But we don't know which of the two houses he has gone into. So in that situation, we know one of the two requires, but we're not sure which of the two. So the Gemara compares it, This is like the case of the two paths. What's the case of the two paths? This is a Mishnah in Taharis. The Tan says in Mishnah Shnei you have two different paths. On one path, there is a presence of Tumah. Let's say you have a dead body, which is right on the path or something like that, which inevitably causes that someone who's going to walk on that path would become Tumah. But the other path is Tar. Two different paths, a fork in the road. Since Ruvain, let's say, goes on one path, and then afterwards he handles Taharis, things which need to remain Tahar, something which cannot become Tahameh. But then Shimon, a different person, goes on the second path, and he as well is in, in, then, then touches Taharis. So what's the Halacha? So now, if we analyze each of them on their own perspective, if, we, if Ruvain... If we think about Reuven independent of Shimon and Shimon independent of Reuven, we don't really have an issue. Why? Because we have a principle that whenever there's a suffix Tumah, a suffix Tumah occurs in a public area, and we're assuming here these Shavila in our public area. So then, Halacha is suffix Tumah versus Arabim Sveiko Tahar. We don't have to be stringent on a suffix of Tumah in the street. That's generally the Halacha. So if that's true, so Reuven should be taught, even though he may have, we don't know which path he, walk, which path he walked down. He may have gone down the Tumah one, but he may not have. It's a suffix. Shimon as well. If you think of Shimon independently, same thing. We don't know which path he went down, so maybe he was down the Torah one. The only issue is when you think about Reuben and Shimon together, there's something. There's a paradox here that one of them went on the Tameh path. One went on one path, one went on another path. The halacha, how could it be if you put these facts together? There's no way that realistically both Reuben and Shimon could be Torah. So what happens? So now this is where the halacha gets complicated with reality. Rabbi Yehuda says, "Im nishalu if they ask separately, they come to the rabbi and they ask in independent ways whether or not they're Tameh, so they have the right, we can pass Gantar, because we don't have, there's nothing forcing us to view their two statuses together. But if they ask, so they ask in one collective question, are we Tameh? So we are forced to respond to the, 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 to the question the way it's asked. And the question posed to us is whether both of them together are Tameh. So then Tameh, they are both Tameh. We have no choice but to be Tameh, both of them, because we can't declare them both Tar when there's a sense of paradox, within the Psaq. Rabbi Yossi Omer, they're always Tameh, even when they ask separately. So now the Gemara analyzes, before we even get to how this relates to Chameh, so the Gemara first analyzes where exactly the dispute is. If they mamish ask together at the same time, meaning they come in front of us and they say, are we Tameh? Then there's no question that we're forced to answer Tameh because 
Again, there's a paradox in our answer to say they're both tar. But if they ask literally one after the other, meaning to say that one question is posed nothing to do with the other one, then there's not a question. Everybody agrees they're both tar. Even though somebody hears both psaks and they put the two together, then it ends up as a paradox. But the psak itself doesn't speak of the paradox. So that's totally okay. Where is the terms of dispute between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yossi? The case is, one person comes to ask, and he asks for me and a friend. So only Reuven comes to the court. But Reuven is asking both on his behalf and on Shimon's. So there, that's the dispute. Rabbi Yossi says, since he's asking not only about his status, but also about the status of his friend. So essentially, it's the same as when they're asking together because we're forced to give up socks simultaneously about both people. So we have to respond to him. If Yudah says no, we can compare it to Bazaar Why could we compare it to Bazaar So it seems to be that the idea here is, is that really this whole thing is a drabana. This whole paradox thing is not Me'ikr Hadin. Me'ikr Hadin, we could say it to both of their faces in front of them when they ask together as well. It's a drabana that the court, it looks funny for the court to say it that way and therefore we don't. So Rabbi Yudah's view is that as long as the other person was not present and was not receiving the, the, the ruling of the court, then it doesn't look so weird. The paradox is not as apparent and therefore it is uh, still acceptable. So what does that have to do with us? That's a long question about Shnei Shvilin, uh, a scenario of Tumah. What does that have to do with us? So we could say the same exact thing. The mouse, Tehir Tachamit. There were two houses in front of the mouse. One was, both were checked. We don't know which of the two he went in. So both of the houses in their own right have the right to be mekel. Because you say, maybe he went into me, maybe he didn't. Suffolk Durabon and Lakula. Remember, because Chomets, the Gemara came out yesterday, yesterday is a Suffolk Durabon and we can be lenient. So if each, if the owner of the house number one comes and asks us, we say you're good. If subsequently the owner of the other house comes along and asks us, do I have to recheck my house? We say you're good. If they both come together and they say, this story happened, the mouse of the Chomets, it went into one of our houses, do we have to check again? Then what's the halacha? We're forced to say that you have to both check again. So that is the way that the Gemara has resolved our question. Says the Gemara, a new case, okay? So now we're moving on to a different case here. Suffolk all, Suffolk low all. Now, what exactly is the case of Suffolk all, Suffolk low all? So this is a little bit difficult. So I'm going to say to you the way Rashi is understood by the Rishonim, is that we know, we see a chamek, we see an Akbar schlep some chameks in from outside, outside, and he brings it into a courtyard. Okay, so we know there's a, we see it, definitely going to have to check the courtyard again, no question. But in the courtyard is also a house. There's a house that's in the courtyard. That's the way it used to be. Houses opened up into the courtyard. Does the presence of the mouse with the chameks that brings it into the courtyard, do we have to see the house as one big area and now with the courtyard and now require another bedika in the house or not? The question here is more like, the idea is when a chametz is brought after something has been checked, if chametz is brought inside again, then it necessitates another badika on the whole thing. Just to give an illustration. If let's say the chametz would, if the mouse comes into the house, you're not going to say I only have to check the foyer. You say once the chametz is in the house, who knows where it is? So the whole, th- the whole house has to be checked again. So here, the akbar comes, the sighting of the akbar is that he comes with chametz into the courtyard. And there's a house in the courtyard. Do I view the house as a separate makom completely? And if I view the house as a sakum makom completely, so then I'm not going to require another badika in the house. I'm going to say, maybe I'll look at the courtyard. I could assume maybe the birds ate it as we learned, whatever. But I don't have to check the house. Whereas if I look at the house as the same makom as the courtyard, so once the, the, the Akbar brought the chametz into the courtyard, it's going to require another badika on the house. So the Gemara says that this issue of a, whether or not, like, 
It's a very interesting question. The root of the, what the Gemara is trying to know, if we consider the courtyard and the house one big area or not, is, could be relevant to other cases as well. Whenever I'm looking at like one makom, which is open to another makom, is there a sense that they're really one big makom in the laws of doubt whenever an uncertainty comes up? Or do I view them as being separate locations? They have defined borders. So even though one is open to the other, but there's the courtyard and there's the house and there are two separate things. And just because I have a presence of chametz in the courtyard, that shouldn't necessarily impact the house in any way. So the Gemara... Why does this constitute ownership at all? Ownership? Yeah, in other words, why isn't this comparable to the case of someone you tell, leave it in the corner? Oh, you mean in all of our cases, when you see an Akbar bring in Khamets, why do we care? The Khamets doesn't belong to me. Is that your question? Yeah. The answer is, so we, so it's a great, it, yeah, it's a good question, but I would say you definitely have to put it away. Even what we learned before, it definitely is only that uh, if you put it away, you make a Chitza Asar Tvachim, you could separate, but definitely a person shouldn't have random Khamets shell hefker that's lying around in his house. So the Gemara says, That's just like the case of the valley where Ablazer and the Rabbanan disagree. Someone's going into a big valley and the valley has many fields. There are many fields in the valley and they're all open to each other. But here again, here's the key. They each have borders. Each field is its own field, but they're all open to each other. It's a big valley. Now it's the rainy season. And why is that important that it's the rainy season? During the rainy season, a valley has a din of a Rishus Hayachid. Because it's private, people don't usually go there. The, the, the crops are growing there, it's muddy. It's not the time to go hang out in the valley. So it's considered like a Rosh Hashayach. And now there's a Tumma in one of the fields. We don't know which of the fields has it. But Omar, and the person says, I went down in the valley. I don't know if I went in the field that had the grave or not. I don't know. So he went into the valley. In the valley is many fields. In one of the fields is a grave. It's a Suffolk Tumma. Okay, because this is Rosh Hashayachad in the, in the rainy season, which generally we say sometimes Rosh Hashayachad Tameh, but he's not sure if he was in the field at all that had the Tumah. So Rabbi Lazar Metahar, Rabbi Lazar purifies him, even though normally we say Suffolk Tumah Rosh Hashayachad Tameh, Tameh, and this is considered Rosh Hashayachad, Rabbi Lazar is still Metahar, we'll see why. Shahaya Rabbi Lazar Omer, because Rabbi Lazar said, Suffolk Bia Tahar, Suffolk Maga Tumah, this rule of Suffolk Tumah Vashayachit, it's not so simple. If it's a Suffolk, if you were there at all, then we don't say Suffolk Tumah Vashayachit Tahar, we say Suffolk Tahar. So, like over here, we don't know if you were even within the presence of the grave. The grave is in one field. You didn't know, we don't even know you were in that field. We know you went to the valley. The valley has many fields. So it doesn't even, it's not even called a Suffolk Tumah versus Ayachid. It's not called a Suffolk Tumah unless we're certain that you were in the place where the Tumah is. Suffolk Maga Tumah. The only time where you say Suffolk Tumah versus Ayachid Tumah is where you know you were in the presence of the Tumah, just we don't know if you made contact with it. That's where we say Suffolk Tumah versus Ayachid Tveko Tameh. So, so, so the Gemara is saying, and the, what do the Rabbanon hold? It sounds like the Rabbanon say no, right? The Rabbanon hold that what? No, it's all one big field. You have a, a valley which has five fields. They're all open one to the other. Yes, I know, you know, probably in real estate, each one is its own field. But in regard to where are you within the presence of the Timah, 100% you are. There's nothing, it's one big makum. It's one big makum, all the fields together, all this open valley together. Therefore, it's not called a suffolk bia. It's not called a suffolk if you're within the presence of the Timah. It's called a suffolk if you touch the Timah. The same way it would be if you know you were in the field with the grave and we don't know if you touched it, that would be suffolk tameh. This is also suffolk tameh. Who cares that there's five fields and I don't know if I was in that particular one. It's all one area. It's all one big, one big makam of being a valley. So what does that have to do with us? So the same thing here. You have a courtyard with a house. You see the mouse come and bring in chametz and it's in the courtyard. And we want to know whether that requires that the house again be checked. 
So it depends whether I view that the makom of the house and the courtyard are one big makom or not. So according to Rabbi Lazar, 100% not. That's Rabbi Lazar's whole point, that you separate them, since each field has different borders, then it's not considered one big makom. It's called bechlau. We don't have any reason to think you were in the field that had the tumah. So to here, according to Rabbi Lazar, just because you see a mouse going into the courtyard, that doesn't give us reasons to think that bechlau, the, the mouse brought it into the house. Masha'in Kane, one would assume that according to the Rabbanan that view all the fields as one big area, then so too here you would think that the Gemara is trying to say that uh, if the Akbar brings the, the Chametz into the courtyard, then you'd have the same thing. Lamaisha the Rishonim tell us that perhaps we can be more lenient because Bedikas Chametz is the Rabbanan, and maybe even the Rabbanan who are Matame in the case of the fields would say that the house does not need Bedikas Chametz. Again, with the concept being that we could see up that the house and the courtyard are two separate locations. Is it talking about the field they're running or they're... they're, they're no. They're right. No. Okay. Says the Gemara, Olu badak v'lo eshkach. So this is a, a very strange thing. But what happened was, right, you saw, you did because comments, everything was good. Fine. Sitting pretty. Then you see a mouse bringing bring in, bring in, uh, uh, some food. So now you got to do another bedika. What's the problem? You went and you didn't find it. So can you assume everything's fine or not? So the Gemara says, This relates to the Machalos Rameir and the Rabbanon. Anything that had a Chazaka and Tumah on it, meaning we knew there was something Tameh. It remains Bechazka's Tumah unless you find it. So if you had like a you know, bunch of fields and you knew that there was some grave buried somewhere, so if you, and then you look through all of them and you can't find it. <laughs> but you know there was once there. So Rameir says, you can't say since you didn't find it, it's good. Uh, probably something happened to it. Some raven got it or something. I don't know. You don't say some raven got the body. You don't say that. Once it's Bechazka's Tumah, it's a fascinating concept, Rameir, because it's hard to understand. Because I might say you checked and you didn't see it. But Rabbi Meir says, in order to take away from the Chazka's Tumah, you have to find the Tumah and remove it. Not finding the Tumah is not enough to take away from the Chazaka. Now you check to the best of your ability. You check that you hit a rock or to some virgin soil that you can tell nothing was ever buried there. And then you're good. If you don't find it, you don't find it. Even though you know there was a grave, there was a dead body. Now you don't. Now you see it's not there. So what's the Gemara? Fine. Very interesting machlokas in the laws of Tumah. So what's the Gemara say? The Gemara is saying over here that according to Rameir, you should keep on checking. What's the second checking going to accomplish? And that's exactly the problem. In Rameir's din over there, it makes sense. Rameir's vart is a din in the, the Chazaka. It's not a practical halacha now. It's not, a, it's not about going and checking again. He's saying in order to take away from the Chazaka, you have to find the Tumah and remove it. So what are we saying here? In order to, to take away from the Chazaka, you have to find the Chazaka. If you don't find the Chazaka, it's and therefore what? What should I do? Hey, what do I do? I should check again and check again and check again. I can't find it. So Taisus learns up in a Hanam. In a Hanam. The Gemara really just wants that here, there's not, since there's nothing to do, even, even we would follow, even Rameir would tell us to follow the Rabbanan and say, if you didn't find it, you didn't find it. Hagufa, there's nothing more that can be accomplished. Which is very strange because in the Gemara's comparison to Rameir and the Rabbanan is absolutely just like a very loose thing that's not, has no bearing on what we want. Strange. Says the Gemara, <clears throat> let's say the opposite. Ol ubadak v'eshka. So this, you see the mouse, goes in, it has a piece of bread, right? And so you know, okay, I got to check, check the whole house again, every single inch of the house. Now, I go into the house, and right in the foyer, I find the piece of bread, boom, I got the piece of bread. Or, no, maybe you didn't. Maybe that's not the piece of bread that the mouse brought. And the piece of bread that the mouse brought is really back in the bedroom somewhere. So you have to finish checking the whole house. So in other words, until the mouse brought, you were under assumption, you check, you're good. The mouse brings it in, now there's a piece of bread in the house, so you have to check the house. I check, and I start checking, and I find it right away. So I have to continue checking the whole house. 
So the Bible says, Pulk did Rabbi Rishim Gamliel, the Tanya, Sabbishem, Baba Kever. Let's say you have a field where the Kever was lost, meaning you know there's a dead bear pot. You don't know where. And next is the Tokha Tameh, whoever goes in his Tameh, because he might be uh, being Malamis. Nimsa Baba Kever. Then what happened was, you find a grave. So does that, do we have the right to assume that the grave that was found is the grave that was lost? And now we know where it is. If we remove it now, the field is tar. So we say, whoever comes in is tar, because we do have the right to say, so that the kever that was lost is the very same kever which was found. That's Rabbi's view. Rabbi's view is when it was lost, and then you find another one, you have the right to assume that that's the one it was. No, you have to do badika for the whole field. Meaning, you could assume that the one that was found is the one that was lost. If you check the whole field, then you find no other one. But until you check every inch of the field, you'd have to be close to maybe there was two that was lost. So, so to here, exactly the same. The mouse brought in a, a, a piece of bread. You check, you start checking your house and you find a piece of bread in the foyer. According to Rebbe, you stop your badika. You don't have to do any more. You could assume right away that that was the piece that the, the Akhba brought in and there's no more chametz in the house. According to Shemim Gamliel, we have to be nervous that maybe that's another one. And you still have to go and check the rest of the house once the, mach, the Akbar has brought in bread. Okay. Says the Gemara, strange case here. You put out nine pieces of bread. Right? So now like us. You're putting out bread for Radika, right? So you put out nine pieces. Or it doesn't have to mean like a guy did our practice. I mean, he left me. He knows he has nine pieces of bread scattered in the house. He does Radika and he finds ten. So... The simple shot is great. I found, I found my nine. I happen to be that. I didn't realize there must be an extra one also that I found. Or, no. You put it, you live in nine and now you find ten. So maybe you have to be choshish that your nine are a different nine that are still in the house. Maybe you're not yotze until you finish checking the house. Meaning the same idea. You know that there are nine pieces still left in the house. In your mind, I still have to go get those nine pieces to finish my bedika. You find ten. Can you have to go search the rest of the house now? As soon as you found those ten, or no? Could you? Basically, the question is: Do you have the right to assume that the nine that you found are the nine that you were missing, and the extra one is just an extra one that was there, or no? This must be a separate group of ten, and the nine that you put are somewhere else in the house. So you have, you, it requires further bedika. So the Gemara says: Here we're talking about meiser sheni. You want to know whether the money that you leave in a box is meiser sheni or chulin? So you left one mana of Meister Shini, and then you find two. You found Masayim. So what's the din? So the, the first opinion says, Kulu Rebbe says the simple shot. So one of the coins is Meister Shini. You know mentally you put in one. Now you find two. Must be one of them is Meister Shini, one of them is Kulu. You don't know which one, it stinks, but that's what it is. The reality is one of them is Meister Shini, one of them is Kulu. Look at this. You have the right to be lenient and assume that all of them are chulin. Both coins are chulin. Why? But what do you mean? I know I left one coin of my shashini there. The terrorist is, since it's so unlikely that you would mix ever chulin with mouse my shashini, you have the right to assume that you forgot and you must have taken out your one coin of my shashini and now these are new, two new chulin coins that you put in and you just don't remember that you did that. Unbelievable umdana that the Rabbanon are making. You remember mentally I, put, I left one coin. When you go and something's off with the way you remember it, you come to the box and there are two coins, you have the right to assume that your Malz of Meister Shani was taken out and you replaced it with two new coins of Chulin that are there and both coins there are Chulin. So what's the Gemara trying to say? How does that relate to us? So same thing here. If you thought mentally that you left nine and now you find 10. So according to Rabbi, we have no reason to think that these are a different group of 10. We just assume it must be you forgot that you really had 10. But these, the nine are the same nine. So once you found it, you found it. According to Rabbana, no, 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 no. Once something's off and the way you remember it, you thought you left nine and you're finding ten. We're concerned that it must be the nine you moved somewhere else. There's somewhere else in the house. And this is a different group of ten. And once it's a group of a different group of ten, you would have to go uh, find the rest. 
Now, says the Mishnah, what about the, what it says tomorrow, what about the inverse? So here, you, you left Han, you left Hen, and you only found nine. So what's the Gemara saying? This is the Seifa. So you're missing, you're missing one, right? You, you're down one. So Mar says, this is like the Seifa that Mishnah. You left two coins of Mos Meister Shani, and you go back and you only find one. So Rebbe says, So meaning you have the right to assume that it's Mos Meister Shani. You don't know what happened to the other coin. But if you remember mentally that you left two Meister Shani coins and you're finding only one there, well, the one is for sure Meister Shani coin. That's Rebbe's view. The Chachamim are saying that it's all chulin. What's the pshat that the Rabbanon are saying that it's all chulin? Because you remember that you put two. When you're only founding one, it must be that the two that you removed, you're not going to separate. Who separates Maestro Shani coins and leaves one here and one there? It must be. You took out both of the most of Maestro Shani. You put them somewhere else. And then you put a new, a new one of chulin in, in. A new one of chulin in. So now, so now what? <laughs> what, what? What's fine? I got the Machlokas on my Maestro Shani. But how is the Gemara relating this to B'dikas Chames? So B'dikas Chames again. You, you left out 10 and you only found 9. So you definitely know you're missing 1. So what's the Gemara saying? What's the Machokas? So I guess the idea would be that do I have to go look for 1 more or do I have to go look for 9, 10, 10? So I have to go look for 10 more. If the shot is like Rebbe, then you can only have to look for 1 more. We assume that the, the 9 that you found are the 9 of 10 which you left. So you're down 1. You gotta go look for 1. Go really hard and look for 1. That's the game plan. According to Rabbanon, really, you, we're choshish, you have to look for another 10. Because when you left on, you find nine, it's strange, something's off, so we suspect from the way you remembered it, so we suspect that all of yours that are somewhere else, you must have moved them, and these are a new nine, and you actually have to go look for 10. That's, and it's a question what it is, is the objective of what I'm looking for. Then after me, it would be, if I find one, could I stop? After this, if I find one more, could I stop? According to Rabbi, yeah, you put out 10, eventually you found 10. According to Rabbanon, no, because once you found Nine, it's different than the way you remembered it. That triggers that we're scared that actually the ones that you found are a different one. And now you actually are supposed to be looking for 10 and you shouldn't stop the patika until you check it. You look through everything to try to find, to try to find all the pieces of bread. The root of the machlokas revving their abundance, which is a fascinating thing, is ultimately a question of like, if you, you remember something one way and then you find it differently, if we assume something changed or we assume maybe everything was different. Everything is off in the way you remember it. Okay, continues the Gemara top of the Ahmed base. Let's say you, you put it down in one corner and then you remember, yeah, yeah, I put some chametz in this corner. Then you find chametz, you find it in a different corner. So, so could you just stop right away? Or do we say, no, 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 uh, something's off. This must be a different chametz, the one you found in the second corner. And the chametz from the first corner is scattered somewhere out the whole house. You got to go looking. So the Gemara says, ultimately, what's the root of the question? You don't remember moving it. You don't remember that. So, does that mean that, that it must be scattered somewhere else? Or do we assume that, eh, it just got moved from corner to corner and you don't remember? So it's, Let's say you lost a cardam in the house. You can't find your axe. We say the whole house becomes tame. Why? Because you didn't move it. So how did it get moved? It must be that a tame person came. Some bad thief. And once he's a thief, we're going to assume he's a tame person who's metame in the house as well. He has tama. So therefore, we assume that a tummy person came in and moved it from place to place, which would contaminate the house. One, it's an amazing chumrah. Once you can't find your axe, it's not in the right place, it's in the other corner, then we assume some thief must have come in and moved it around, and therefore everything in your house is tummy because the guy, the thief, was probably not, not a tummy. No way, Abai's tar, the house is totally fine. You just lent it to someone and you forgot. 
Or maybe you just moved it from corner to corner and you forgot. Now the Gemara just clarifies. First, we clean up some of the, the text here. Who had mentioned anything about a, a corner? This is the full language of the Brisa. The full language should read like this. You lose your axe in the house. The whole thing's tummy. You can't find your axe. Not that you found it somewhere else. We start off with, you lost it. You can't find it. So then the whole house is tummy. Because we say, maybe a thief who was tummy came in and took it away. So your whole house is tummy. As soon as you can't find your axe, all your kalim in your house have to go to the mikvah. Tremendous chumrah. Or even if it's, you can't find it at all, but you left it in one corner and you find it in the other corner. The whole house is tameh. Some thief came in and moved it around and uh, we're concerned everything is tameh. Because in the case where you can't find it at all, you lent it to somebody, you just can't remember that you lent it out. Or you don't remember, but you took it and moved it from one corner to another corner. So the root of the machlokas is, again, very similar concepts here. How is halacha impacted when you can't remember things? So what do we happens when you can't remember? I, I, I just lost my axe. So one opinion says, assume the worst. You can't remember, assume the most unlikely possibility because whatever you're going to assume is different than the way you remember. That's the key in understanding the first time. Why is it more likely to assume you moved it and somebody else came in? You moving is also not what you remember. You remember that I leave my car right here. I leave my car keys always right here. When you can't find your car keys, or even if you find them in the other corner, you don't remember moving them. So the Tanakhama says, assume the worst. Maybe you didn't move them. And some of that moved it and everything's Tameh. The other person says, no. It's more likely that that happened than that happened. And even though that's not the way you remember it, you have the right to assume that you were the one who moved it in your Kalim Artar. So the Gemara is relating the same thing with the Chametz. When you leave the Chametz in one corner and you find it in the other corner, can you have the right to assume that this is the same Chametz and you just moved it from corner to corner and you don't remember? Or once it's not the way you remember it, we have to assume the worst then maybe this is a different chametz, and the chametz that was in this corner is scattered somewhere else, and you have to check the whole house. Same achlokas. Zot the Gemara, Amar Rava. Achbar nichnas v'kikar befiv. You see an achbar that comes into a house, and he has bread in his, in, in his mouth. Unichnas achrav, you go in right after him. You're trying to see, did, what, what's he doing with it? Umatzah pirurin. You didn't see exactly, but all you find right in, you know, where he went in is a bunch of crumbs. You find crumbs which the total, if you add up all the crumbs, it would be like the size of what the Akbar was holding. Sarich Badika. You cannot assume that those crumbs are the crumbs of the bread that the, that the, that the, that the mouse had. Why? That's not usually what they do. Either they eat it or they hide it somewhere. But it's not the likely scenario that they crumbled it up on the floor. That's very unlikely. The Metzias, the practicality of what a mouse would do with bread. So if you find crumbs, those must be other crumbs. Even though there are a lot of crumbs, there must be other crumbs, and the bread is still somewhere in the house, so you still need bedikah. But if it's a child who's going in and has a key card in his hand, and you enter in and you find the crumbs, a child, it is likely for him to crush, to, to, to crush it up, so you have the right to assume that the crumbs are from the bread that the child brought in. Let's say you have a mouse that comes in and he has bread, and then an Akbar comes out, you see a mouse leaving, and he's holding a kikar. What's the halacha? You have the right to assume that it's the same mouse. You saw a mouse going in with bread, you saw a mouse leaving with bread. So it's probably the same mouse. The same mouse, so you don't need badika. Maybe it's a different mouse. So you still need badika. It's a separate mouse, but maybe the mouse that was bringing in the bread has deposited somewhere in the house, and you've got to go find it. 
Even if you're going to say that it's probably the same mouse, what about if it was a different color mouse? Let's say you saw a white mouse coming in with, bread, with a piece of bread. And a black mouse is leaving with a piece of bread. It's definitely a separate mouse, so you'd have to still do a badika because the white mouse brought in comments. Oh, Dilma, a room Maybe he just beat him up. Maybe the black mouse beat up the white mouse, stole his bread, and is leaving the house. So you could assume that way, because why would there be another mouse leaving with the bread after the first mouse brought a bread? It must be that's what happened. The second mouse stole the bread from the first mouse. So you don't need Bidika. Maybe you'll say, come on, mouses protect each other. They're not stealing bread from each other. But <coughs> let's say a mouse goes in with a piece of bread. And then you see a weasel leaving, and there's bread in its mouth. Mouth. Here it's a weasel, so that's normal for a weasel to attack the mouse. You could definitely assume that he took it from the, from the mouse. Odomar, perhaps, maybe it's a different one. And why should we assume it's a different one? If it's true that the weasel had attacked the mouse and t- stolen his lunch, you know what else he would be holding? The mouse. And if he's not holding the mouse and he's only holding the bread, must be it's a different piece of bread and the mouse has nothing. He's still running around the house somewhere with the, with the bread that he brought in. The aim, Tim, so let me know if you're going to conclude, if you're going to say that that Saad was right and that we cannot assume that it was the right one from the fact that he's not carrying out the mouse as well. What about this case? A mouse goes in and he's holding bread. And now a weasel comes out. And in the weasel's mouth is a mouse and bread. Mahu, here, could you be leaning? Yeah, of course you should be leaning because you saw a mouse come in. You see a weasel come out with a mouse and bread. So clearly he just beat him up and is carrying both, uh, both the mouse and the bread. Or maybe he said the Iyuninu, if it's really that one, you know where the bread would be? Not in the mouth of the weasel, it would be in the mouth of the, of, of the mouse. Because the mouse, think about the case. The mouse comes in with a piece of bread. The weasel attacks the mouse. So he should be holding the mouse. But where should the kikar be? In the mouth of the akhbar. From the fact that it's in the mouth of the weasel, we have to assume that the bread is not the same bread that the mouse had brought in, and the, mouse from the, from, and the bread from the mouse is still somewhere in the house. Maybe what happened was, was that the mouse got very scared. He dropped the bread. And then the weasel not only took the mouse, but he also took the bread. Bunch of very cool questions. And the Gemara says to all of these, take up. We do not know to all of these cool questions with the mouse and the weasels and the white mouse and the black mouse. We're not sure. Says the Gemara, now we get back to a general Shaila in Hilchos Bedika. Let's say you have a uh, loaf of bread all the way up in a kara. And it seems in the Gemara, you, either, either you know for sure it's there or your Hoshi your, your said it's there high up in like in the beams of the ceiling. You know, like, once in a while, like you store, I don't know, when we were kids, we were playing, you know, like in the, literally in the ceiling in there, maybe there's bread up there. Do you have to check there or not? Do you have to go get a ladder to bring it down or not? No way. Because Why should you have to go check? It's very troublesome to go check. And there's no way you're ever going to come to eat this bread on Chametz, because, on Pesach, because it's all the way up in the ceiling. So maybe you could be lenient and just do Bittal. Remember, Bittal suffices Midaraisa. Bittal suffices Midarabonan. Sounds like in this Gemara, by the way, Tosos quotes this Gemara, that the main reason you should do Bidika is because you might eat it. And that's what the Gemara is saying. It's high up, it's inexhaustible. The aren't going to be matriachi. What's the Lashon of Gemara? You're not going to come to eat it. Oh, Dilmar, perhaps. Zimdin did not fall. Maybe sometimes things fall from the ceiling. And you might come to eat it. And therefore, now, before Pesach, you have to go get your ladder and go get the bread down. 
says the Gemara, if you're going to resolve, that you do have to go get it from the ceiling because it might fall and you might eat it. Let's say it's buried deep in a pit. Do you have to go get a ladder to bring it out of the pit? Do you not? Here you'll say there's no way you're ever going to go and get it, right? And here it doesn't, things don't come up from a pit by themselves. Maybe once in a while a person will go down to use the bathroom and he'll be looking for a private spot and he's going to be using the pit. And he might come to eat the chametz which is in the pit. Says the Gemara, the most unlikely possibility. Look at this. Even if you're poche, that you have to check what's in the pit because once in a while you might go down and eat it. Let's say you have a piece of bread that's in the mouth of a snake. Do you have to go higher? What's the, there's a fancy English word for someone who charms snakes. I don't know what the word is, but that's what a chaver is. Like a very like, someone who knows how to deal with snakes, you have to go hire him to do b'tikas chametz to take the bread out of the mouth of the snake. Oh, ain't sarif, maybe you don't need. Now, the part that's hard to understand about the Gemara is that how is this chametz going to become accessible to you? It sounds like, like, like we're choshes that like the, the snake will spit it out in a minute. That's what it sounds like. Right now, it's in the mouth of the snake. You don't know if it's going to stay there or not. So maybe you should have to do b'tikah that what? That you're going to go get it out of his mouth by hiring somebody. What's the question? Maybe the chiyah b'dika is always something that you could do with your own body. But the Rabbana are not of you to pay money. Meaning, until now, we always assume it's something you can do yourself with your body. But if it's the extent that you're going to have to hire a professional snake person to get it out, maybe the Rabbana are not matriach so much. Maybe not. And again, the Gemara says to all of this, Teku, we are not sure. We are not sure uh, about what the halacha is. Okay, let's stop here for, for the daf. We'll, we'll pick up tomorrow right, right at the Mishnah, bottom of Yudam and Beis. Yes, Brad? Can a person...